welcome to class. This is The Media Major. Hey guys, this is The Media Major with your host, Yasmin Markovich. Today, I'm going to be changing up my streaming service of choice. As you know, if you've listened to my past two episodes, I talked about shows that were on Netflix, but instead today I'm talking about a show that's actually available to us on Amazon Prime. Um, this show, although it does come up as an Amazon Prime original, it wasn't actually made by Amazon or developed by Amazon, um, but they have made it available to us in North America. So if you have a Prime subscription, which I know many people do, make sure to check out Amazon Prime um, video, basically, to watch not only a bunch of shows that are on TV, have been on TV, movies, stuff like that, but also some really good original content. So today I'm going to be talking about a newer show. Um, it debuted in November 2020 and it's called Alex Ryder. Um, I'm going to give you a little brief synopsis. So basically, following his uncle Ian's death, teenager Alex Ryder discovers that his uncle was actually a British spy and in order to uncover the truth behind Ian's death, Alex must go undercover at the mysterious reform school point blank using the skills Ian has spent his life teaching him. So that's my synopsis of it. I think it pretty much sums up the main storyline of season one. Um, I think I don't think I can really go into any more depth about it just because I might present some spoilers, but that's pretty much the gist of what this first season is about. I don't remember what Amazon has on like theirs. I don't know if you are curious about it. I would watch the trailer. I feel like that would probably give a decent sense of what the show is about. Since this show has a bit of a longer history behind the development of it, I actually want to go into that history a little bit. I spent some time doing some research, so reading a lot of Hollywood Reporter and uh, Variety articles about this. Um, and if you don't know, Hollywood Reporter and Variety are basically industry magazines, so they're kind of the place to go if you want to hear about what's going on in the industry, not just like, um, not just articles and interviews from one casts and uh, production teams are doing the promotional tours for their movies and shows, but also like knowing what's going on, um, talking about like in cases where like when Disney bought Fox 20th Century um, and getting all those assets as well as looking at like festivals, um, award shows, stuff like that. So it's really good to get like a little bit of insight into the industry if you're not involved in the industry or if you want to get into the industry but like aren't quite there yet like me. So development for Alex Ryder actually began in 2017 which it's normal to start developing a show maybe like a like long enough before the show actually comes out but for me this just felt like it was it's been quite majority and you'll you'll see more I think that as I get more into the history here. So Alex Ryder is actually a book series by British author Anthony Horowitz. So 11th Hour Films optioned the rights to adapt the book series into a TV show. So this series was actually initially going to be developed for the UK for ITV. If you are familiar with British like broadcasting, basically the two big channels are BBC and ITV. But that actually fell through. So Sony stepped in in 2018, deciding that they were going to distribute the project um, and fully finance it. 
for them this was going to be like their first step into like a young adult um, content which realistically I feel like Sony already does have a lot of content that appeals for young adults and that they very much do so like when they release like movies and everything they do get the young adult market with it but I guess they wanted to make something directly aimed at young adults. I don't know if this show is really like specifically for young adults but I guess that was the whole thought behind it. But this is interesting because distributors usually don't fully finance projects. They might give an advance to help the producer and production team finance a little bit and it kind of gives them more of an incentive to like really sell it into a lot of markets. But most distributors would not go in fully paying for a project but I guess because it's Sony they have the means to do so. Um, so at this point in time they didn't have a broadcaster since the initial broadcaster dropped out. So Amazon actually signed on as the broadcaster but it was going to be exclusively for Prime members in the UK. So it wasn't even going to be available to Amazon subscribers in North America. Um, so who knows where it could have ended up. I imagine not Netflix or another streaming service but it might not have ever been available to us unless Sony was able to sell it elsewhere because Amazon did want that exclusivity um, because I think if I remember correctly they wanted to get more into like European content as well too and create more content for their European markets but eventually Amazon did decide to get the broadcast rights for the show for North America as well which I'm grateful for because I really enjoyed this show. So as of now, it's been distributed in almost 100 territories around the world, which is pretty cool. Um, it can be tricky to get your content all over the world. Um, different markets present different challenges, but it got picked up by a lot of services and a lot of broadcasters. Um, but it actually had two kind of different premiere windows. So it premiered in June 2020. Um, so everyone in like the UK and Europe were seeing this UK, Europe, and I think Australia. We're seeing it in June, but we actually only got it in November 2020. And it's interesting because I didn't even hear about it on social media. And usually, as much as it tends to be like we don't get as much content and like popular, like what's popular is we don't get as much pop culture, I would say, trickling over from Europe as like we do to them in a sense because you know, Western civilization, we kind of put ourselves front and center for everything. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Like I saw nothing about the show until I saw an ad for it before watching another show on Amazon Prime. So that was pretty cool and like kind of under the radar. So I think it really worked in this case to have two different premiere time frames um, because it didn't result in any spoilers, which is usually the problem if you have different premiere windows. Something though that's really nice for the North American viewers is that it's already renewed for season two. So when it did premiere in November, uh, filming was set to start in January 2021, so right now. But to be honest, I haven't been able to find anything indicating that they actually are filming. My guess is that they're probably not filming right now because the UK has been hit pretty hard by the pandemic and with a new strain of COVID going around. So I don't think they're in production yet but it's nice if you have decided to watch it and got into it or if you now go and watch it and get into it because there is that guaranteed season two coming. It'll be a little delayed probably but it's great for us 
um, because we have less of a weight than everyone else in the world. And of course, as an avid book reader as well too, who very much has trouble with um, book to screen adaptations, um, I was very happy to see that Anthony Horowitz, the author, was actually involved in this show. So he's actually an executive producer on the project, which is pretty awesome that he's been involved with it throughout the whole development of it. Like he was involved since day one, which is always great. Usually you see a lot of adaptations, they get the rights to the book or whatever, but the author isn't involved. So it ends up very different. And not that the author can like say they're disappointed, but if you've ever like seen Rick Riordan's reactions to um, the Percy Jackson films, you'll know that it's a little disheartening when you see like the stories you put your heart and soul into being so like drastically changed on screen and getting such a negative reaction from the audience too and fans. So I think this definitely probably helped um, the show capture the true heart of the story and I think it really like stuck to what the books are about hopefully. Um, I don't know, I really enjoyed it. I thought like the spy fiction really came through in it and I think that also speaks to like having the author involved. As I mentioned with the synopsis, the first season takes on the storyline where Alex Ryder has to go to this mysterious reform school in the French Alps called Point Blank. This is after there have been two instances of students, or I guess graduates, finding themselves now in very like lucrative positions having to take over their parents, like big companies um, following the death of their parents, and the fact that it did play into his uncle Ian's death. So one thing to note about this storyline is that this is actually the second book in the series. This series, I'm not actually sure how many books there are in the end because a few different websites have like conflicting information just because I think like they release in the UK before they do in North America. So I'm not entirely certain how many books there are in this series. But Point Blank for sure is the second book in this series. For me, I think it was really clever for them to actually start with the second book um, because the first book itself actually had been adapted for a movie way back in like 2004-2005 but it failed to launch a franchise like they had hoped. So I think it was very smart for them to bypass the first book and move straight to the second so they didn't have to worry about getting bogged down like the first one did. And honestly, I think that's just a general problem sometimes that origin stories have um, because you have so much like story and exposition you have to tell like how this person became who they are. It can be really hard to have like a really good story and like really ha have a good plot to drive the story forward to carry on with future iterations and uh, continuations. So I do think like it did make sense to start with the second one. Plus who knows, maybe they couldn't actually adapt the first one anymore like maybe the rights were still with the initial production team that did the movie I'm not entirely sure but like I think it was a smart move it just it's kind of tricky of course because the whole origin story factors are missing so now they had to build it into this um show but I think they pulled it off really well the first four episodes kind of really deal with some of that like exposition and getting to know Alex so I think I I was impressed that it wasn't the first book because I didn't know that at first so good good on them. So in this case the book series was more popular in UK and Europe which 
makes the introduction of Alex Ryder to North America and the North American market like more exciting, I think, because we're not as familiar with the initial content. So I think that definitely also worked in their favor by going to the second book because we, most of us probably wouldn't have been aware of what the first story was anyways. So it really worked in their favor. And like, I love good business moves like that. So good on 11th hour. And interestingly enough, season two of the show is actually going to pick up with the storyline from book four rather than the third book. Um, I like personally, I'm kind of curious why they chose to jump ahead to the fourth book when you have so much source content and could really keep the show going for like so long if you were to like do a season per book. But I, I, as much as they're not going with a third book, I do have faith in how the story is going to progress because Guy Burt, who actually wrote the first and second seasons of the show, um, has read the first nine novels in the series. So I trust that he knows what he's doing with the overall story of Alex Ryder and he knows where he has to go with things and what um, like plot points he has to lay to look ahead to future seasons. So I think in this case, because he is so familiar with the content, it should work. I'm just curious if maybe like there was something about the third book that would be too hard to produce for TV or like why they decide to skip it. Maybe we'll find out more once we get closer to the release of season two, but like I'm curious about this. I was initially only going to review the pilot of this show, but I ended up liking it enough to keep watching. So it turns out maybe I'm not the best at just reviewing a pilot of a show because I just end up watching more if I like it. Um, I'm a little biased though because I do really love um, the intelligence field and espionage and spy fiction. Um, just for like reference, I even took a course this past summer on the history of espionage just because I find it all so fascinating and neat. Of course, spy fiction kind of diverges from the actual like intelligence work, but still, I love it. So I'm a little biased because I knew going into it, I was probably going to enjoy it if it was like well done for spy fiction. And it was. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The pilot episode itself presents enough of a hook to keep viewers intrigued and continuing on to the next episode. It's a little bit, I think, of a slow burn, but it was still like enough to get that hook that's needed to want to keep watching. One thing that I really liked from my first like watch through as well was the title sequence. Um, it doesn't reveal anything. It isn't like a corny title sequence either. It adds in some of the traditional spy fiction imagery which we don't really see in the first season, but at the same time, it kind of really sets the tone that like this is a spy fiction and this is where we're gonna go with the series. So I thought that was nice. Like I said, it's a bit of a slow burn um, in like the whole season, I would say. Um, the first four episodes are like, like I said, they're exposition more so. They're about establishing the characters and the story world. So it does, take a bit longer to get into the storyline of like the actual season because it only picks up really in episode five when we finally do get to go to point blank. The first four episodes kind of deal with figuring out who Alex is and how he's gonna like fit this world of spies and intelligence into his life as a normal British teenager. One thing though that I think was cool and probably pretty smart for this on like the part of the production team was that there were actually only two directors for the first season, which is pretty uncommon for a show, but it was smart the way they divided it up. So for the first four episodes that were more about the story world and 
getting to meet the characters, they had one director. And then for the second half of the show, episodes five to eight, where we're really into the action and getting into like the real spy fiction part of it, we had a different director for those episodes. And they really seamlessly developed the story and made it flow from one director section to another. And you could see where their strengths were and what they could do. So I think it really worked in the favor of the show to have two directors who had two different specialties to develop the whole story world and to really create a, um, a nice flow from episode to episode where, you know, the story kind of just like continued on so nicely. Whereas as much as like in a usual show, you know, you do tone meetings with directors so that way they know what they have to deliver. Um, sometimes you do have that kind of like jar, I get like it's kind of jarring from episode to episode. Like for me, I know watching The Mandalorian, Bryce Dallas Howard's episodes are always so great. And then sometimes like the next episode just doesn't live up to it. But I think they really avoided any of that in this case, which was really cool. As I said, though, I did read a lot of reviews and just a lot of um, publishings about this show. And a reviewer for The Hollywood Reporter mentioned that there was a little too much exposition, but I'm going to say that I actually didn't mind this. Sometimes I would hate that, and like if you've listened to my Outer Banks episode, you would know that I hate how in the voiceovers it kind of just is like all exposition rather than actually showing anything. Um, in this case, there's no like voiceovers. It just, it's slow because they're taking the time for this exposition. But like I said, I don't mind because it is kind of hard to jump into the story when you're skipping over the first book. So they did have to lay the groundwork and build that foundation. And like, it's meant to be an origin story. And there's always like, an origin story is always going to be exposition heavy. So in this case, I didn't mind. And I didn't really think about the exposition until I read this article from The Hollywood Reporter. So you know what? It's fine. I think it was needed um, to really establish the world. And I think it's getting trickier and trickier with shows to be able to do this because they only have like eight episodes in a season when it's a streaming service show. So it's hard to build that world and get to know the characters. So dedicating some time to it may not have been a bad thing. And in this case, the production team like actually said they did want to take the time to flesh out the characters and to build out Alex's world. Even they mentioned how in the book some of the characters weren't as big of a role or like they didn't get to know the characters as well in the books but they wanted to do that more with this show and I think it really worked and it did add more to the story because like, the thing is much as you can have like a leading man in a show he's very much not alone in this um it's a little different I think in movies where you could have just like a solo guy but in a show to keep it going for multiple seasons you really do need a great cast so I think it was a smart move it's also been noted that there weren't really a lot of stunts or high-tech spy gizmos. And you know what? To people who are like, mm, I wish it was more Bond. You know what? If you're doing a first season of the show, you don't get a big budget. Like, I bet you the show didn't have a very large budget. And they had to be selective about where they put their money. And if that means not being able to do a ton of stunts or having all those gizmos, then that's okay because there are other ways to convey spy fiction without purely relying on the tropes of the genre. And maybe in future seasons we might see more of this because the budget does go up after the first 
and like second seasons if the show is successful, but they just probably didn't have the budget to be able to do so. And I think to call them out on that is really not fair, especially when they even acknowledged that they didn't have the budget, like they said, to do all those things. And they also wanted it to frame it so that Alex himself has all the tools he needs in his head because his uncle Ian has been training him to be able to do this stuff and survive this world since he was a kid. Although, like, we didn't get an explanation or insight on this into, like, his upbringing and how his uncle Ian trained him because realistically, like, who gets torture training as a kid? Like, how do you torture train a kid without them realizing or having questions? So maybe we'll get more insight into that in season two or later on, but I think it worked in the show's favor that Alex was a capable lead character and that he could rely on himself and his mind to figure out how to get out of situations, especially because like we see in the one case where there is like a gizmo, it ends up not working, which kind of could be the case in a lot of spy fictions. So it really worked. Um, and they knew where they wanted to spend their budget, and I think it was smarter to spend it where it needed to be and to help, like, make the first season work overall rather than trying to be too flashy or really fit into the tropes of the genre. Apparently, though, this show does have a darker tone than the books, and you know what? Like, looking back, it might have been nice to have some more humor and fun with it, um, but I guess because they did kind of want to break away from the books and because... The author, um, Horowitz, was supportive of changes being made to the show and everything to make it happen. I guess they decided to run with it. We might see some lightening up in future seasons. I'm guessing that just because, you know, they wanted to establish that darker tone, they kind of ran with it in the first season because I know sometimes if you try to mix in too much, you can lose a little bit of the atmosphere that you're going for or confuse the audience a bit. But I do hope we see some more fun and everything because... You know, Alex is a teenager, so it would be nice to see him lean into that humor and the fun side of being young as well. I also like that they did modernize the story to reflect the modern day xenophobia in England, while still also having some of those Cold War anxieties, of which, you know, James Bond really perfected for spy fiction. I think that was really nice. Um, these books were initially published, I think, like, 2000, early 2000s, so they did need some updating, and I think they did it very well. And dealing with kind of like the state of the world right now was really smart. Um, they still had those like classic elements of spy fiction while still acknowledging like the modern day. So it wasn't purely escapism, you know? And of course, who would I be if I didn't compliment the protection design? It was clever. Like I wasn't expecting, so the, the spy agency that Alex works with is called the department. So I wasn't expecting the department's office to look the way it does. It's kind of like grungy and not like the high tech, like sleek, nice offices you see in a lot of spy fiction films and like TV shows. So I liked that it kind of broke away from the typical intelligence office and it felt like more underground and like it was the kind of setup where like they could run if they needed to and just like leave behind like an empty shell. So maybe it was like actually really clever. Um, but I thought it was very like nice to see that the production design team went with something different and even like point blank being that it was a like the school building and the lore of it is that it was like an insane asylum and then like a chemical storage like area. So it feels grimy and forgotten like tucked away in the French Alps so I like that it feels old. It has all those elements of like 
what has been to depicted to us as like old insane asylums. But yeah, it had the like grime and kind of like grossness to it. Like it's not what a bunch of rich kids would probably be used to. Today I decided to do a whole segment for cinematography just because I really liked the cinematography on this show. So first and foremost, the lighting was great. Um, I think it was so clever that they kept like faces shrouded at points in like darkness because it added to the mystery and intrigue and the sense of really not knowing who someone is or being left in the dark as like the audience. Um, I just thought it was very clever for the genre and conveyed like messaging without having to say anything or have any action for it. The angles in the show were also really great. Uh, the DOP, I wish I had the name of the DOP, did a great job. Like it, the way they did this show, the camera angles that we get to see, it really gave the impression of the characters being watched by an onlooker that we can't see. And like maybe it's that we're that onlooker, but it really adds to the tension and kind of that fear of like, who's there, like who's watching them, who's gonna come for them, that type of thing. Like it always feels kind of like something could happen and then it's more so we're just like looking on into the scene, but it had that perfect like tension, I think, and suspense that you really need in a spy fiction to drive the story forward. And of course, like the filming style being the way it is, makes you very aware as the viewer that like we're looking in on the characters and trying to piece it all together ourselves. That was smart. Like as much as I don't, like to always be kind of taken out of that magic and have that like uh, suspension of disbelief taken away from me. It did kind of like make me aware of the fact that like I'm kind of spying on them and it it worked I think. <laughs> yeah so overall there was some really cool camera work um, which does make me wish I'd spent some more time in school learning how to be a DOP and like doing some training in that sense. So kudos to all the DOPs out there. Um, I will need you in the future to help me pull off cool stuff like that. I'm gonna take a moment to talk about the cast now. So Otto Ferrant stars as Alex Ryder. Now I like the casting because to me he didn't feel like your traditional overly attractive leading man. I mean some articles did say like oh he's your typical handsome like blonde whatever blah 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 but I like personally I found he had more of a look of like a normal British guy. That was my opinion like I didn't find him overly attractive like he is but at the same time like he felt kind of relatable because they show he has like visible acne scars and that felt like you know not something most shows would do when it comes to their lead characters where they try to like airbrush them and make them look flawless. Uh, I also I was convinced he actually was a teenager. I don't know why he just like comes across as like that, but he's actually older than I thought because he's 24. But maybe it is like elements like that he feels more like a regular guy, and the fact that you know he does have those acne scars that made him feel more age appropriate and relatable. Um, I'm not mad in this case that he is older because like I said he does really come across, or at least to me he felt more like an authentic teenager compared to like what we see in um, North America where it's usually like 27 year olds cast as teenagers and they clearly aren't. So he played the character well I think and just the way he carried himself for it felt right. Um, and I liked that he's not like the most well-known actor too. Maybe more so in the UK but in this case I had never come across his work before so that was a nice thing for me. Because I like when shows take on a leading actor 
that is more unfamiliar to the audience and gives those opportunities to people. But I will say like we don't really get to know Alex too well during the first season or see him like in a really vulnerable spot. So I hope that going into season two we get to know Alex a bit better and see a little more depth of emotion and more depth of character from him. Next I want to move on to Tom. He's actually a bigger character in the show than the books despite the fact that he's Alex's best friend which like feels weird but I guess the books focus more on like Alex and his adventures. Um, I was also just shocked that I didn't recognize Brennick O'Connor who plays Tom because he plays Ollie in Game of Thrones and as much as Ollie's not in for super long he is a very familiar kid act or younger actor in the show. So yeah, I thought that was cool. So if any, if there are any Game of Thrones fans, if you want to see what he's doing now, then this is it. Um, and then to fill out like the main trio of the show, there's Jack who is kind of like a live-in, not nanny per se for Alex because he's kind of older, but she probably was more of like a nanny to him um, when he was younger. And now they're kind of like siblings. So Jack, she's supposed to be mid-20s, but I don't know if it was like the casting choice or just like how they featured her in the script. I honestly thought she was older. Um, I wasn't like super impressed with character in the role. It just felt a little flat. That's just my opinion. Um, obviously it's kind of hard when you're trying to fill in so much of a story world so fast. And you know, Alex is obviously the main character. So they need to spend more time on him. Um, hopefully like next season, we start to see a little bit more. That's all like I, I'm asking for is just like more. Then on to Mrs. Jones, played by Vicki McClure. I wanted to talk, her, talk about her particularly because she's a character that I, like an actor that I feel like I know, but I'm not actually familiar with any of her work. She just has that feeling, I think, on screen where it's like you feel like you know her and like you've seen her before and she just feels very present. So I kind of, I liked that. And for me, I hope um, that she gets to take on a bit of a Professor McGonagall role for Alex. If you watch the show, you'll kind of see why I mean that. But yeah, I liked her. She felt warm in a sense, despite the fact that she is playing a character that, you know, is involved with like the secret like spy agency. Then we also have another Game of Thrones album, another one I didn't recognize, Stephen Delane. Dylan, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but he plays Alan Blunt on this show, which is a perfect name for like the head of a spy agency. So he plays Stannis Baratheon on Game of Thrones and I think the fact that I literally did not recognize him at all nor felt like the characters felt like familiar in any way speaks to his acting. Like these characters felt nothing alike. Like I would not have even thought or felt the suggestion of Stannis Baratheon and Alan Blunt. Next I wanted to comment on Hera who is supposed to be I guess kind of like our main female lead at least for the second half of the show, um, played by Marley Sue. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Um, I like that while she's like, she's a cute girl that they didn't like, they didn't pick a drop dead gorgeous mixed girl like media and the entertainment industry have been leaning towards because her character is like half white, half Asian. So I liked that she wasn't the stereotype of what we see for this mix nowadays. I like that she was cute, but also like, didn't feel like they were leaning into the obvious choice, you know, in casting. I feel that there is a romantic interest between Kira and Alex and that that tension is there. But it also feels kind of weird, so I don't know. I don't really know 
what they're trying to do with that relationship. If it's going to be a friendship, if it's going to be romantic, I got vibes that it could go either way. And then not that she's like a very big character, but I wanted to mention Laura. Laura, Laura, I think is how they pronounced it. Just because I was totally convinced she was Israeli because she's got that beautiful like kind of Natalie Portman look to her, but also Gal Gadot. Um, but she's actually Bulgarian and grew up in Barcelona. Her name is Katrine Venkova. I like I was convinced um, she's gonna, I feel like she's gonna grow up to not, well, she's probably older, old enough, but she looks kind of like an Natalie Portman, Gal Gadot, kind of, she's beautiful. So I just wanted to comment on that. And of course, like, given that it is set at a reform school for rich teenagers, I wish there was a way to keep some of these teens from point blank involved going forward. But other than Kira, it doesn't really make sense and wouldn't serve the story. It's kind of unfortunate just because the camaraderie was kind of nice there and the fact that they were able to click and connect despite the very weird circumstances they were in was also really nice. I would have loved to see Alex have more like a friend group and more support from other teens, but I don't think it would work, unfortunately. I, I just, I liked those moments, you know, where they were kind of just teenagers. Um, and for anyone who is interested in getting to know the characters a bit more, Tony actually has a website for the show, um, alexrider.tv, and it gives a lot more insight into the characters than we actually get from the show. Like, I felt I learned more about some of these characters from the brief biographies of them on Sony's website than I did from watching the show, which is kind of sad, but I guess they're going to develop the characters more going forward, hopefully. Either way, it, it's definitely a good companion. And last but not least, although this is probably definitely not the way the show will go, I think a fun plot twist that I would entertain um, especially if they can't like run with the show for super long is that Alex and this whole story isn't actually real but Tom's idea for a film because Tom is an aspiring filmmaker and he's always like filming Alex and little clips for this like movie he's making and I think that would actually be really neat if this was all like Tom's big idea for like his debut film and this character he's built in his head. Um, it'd be really sad but I think it could work really well. That's probably not where this is going, but it's something I think as like an aspiring TV and filmmaker that I would kind of want to explore is that unexpected twist that makes the audience super mad at the end. But that's just me. So that is really all for this Alex Ryder review. I would very much so recommend checking this series out. As a reminder, it's available in North America on Amazon Prime. It's not a long show to get through. You could probably binge, binge it really fast in a day. I would definitely say check it out. I think it's one we're gonna see more uh, of and I feel like Amazon will probably promote it more for season two now that they know season one was successful. Um, yeah, so check that one out.